God, we praise the, the powerful name of Jesus. Lord, the only reason that we're here, the only reason to come in and to worship and to, and to sing, to give our offerings, to open up the word, is because of Jesus. And Lord, if, if we as individuals, as we as a church, ever focus something different than the name of Jesus, Lord, forgive us. Lord, we are, are grateful to be able to meet in a, a wonderful, beautiful place. But Lord, we are most grateful for the name of Jesus, the great I Am. The one who willingly laid his life down, humbled himself, became flesh, and hung on a cross that I may have forgiveness of sins. And we thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we all pray. And all God's people said, Amen. thank you. you. may be seated this morning. Thank you, Dave, for leading us in worship again. And didn't they do a great job this morning? And, of course, we... Uh, Thankful that uh, we have an opportunity to worship our risen Savior this morning. And I want to say thank you real quick to many of you who came uh, yesterday. We had an opportunity to serve uh, in our community with the Convoy of Hope. And uh, so we got out there. Well, I, I, a lot of us got over about 6.30, 7 o'clock yesterday morning. And uh, how many of you realize it was very cold yesterday morning at 6.30? And, uh, but we had the opportunity to serve. I think their numbers was there were about... Just over 5,000 people that came through yesterday through all the different services they offered. Uh, we had 6,000 shoes to give away uh, to women and children, and our church had the, the, the privilege and the opportunity to kind of uh, oversee the distribution of those shoes. Um, and so I'm not sure exactly how many we gave out, but we gave out a lot of shoes. And uh, it was awesome just to see uh, our people at work and serving people. It was uh, a lot of uh, mostly it was a lot of fun, all right, and uh, then I did get an email this morning that out of those uh, 5,000 that, that came through, uh, they, they had uh, 76 that gave their life to Christ yesterday, and so, yeah, let's give the Lord a hand, that's awesome, all right, so, so uh, that's, that was really what it was all about, so it was awesome that they, uh, they kind of went through the whole events and got a lot of free things, and they would, as they exited, uh, many of them, one of the, gr the biggest things they were wanting was a bag of groceries. And uh, so they gave, I, don't, I think it was like 10,000 pounds of food out, I, I can't remember. But uh, they um, would walk through a connections tent in order to get to exit and to get these groceries. And uh, so when they went through the connection tent, they had people there uh, asking if they would like to pray with them or pray about anything. And uh, then as conversations went, uh, that's how the 76 gave uh, their life to Christ. And so it was awesome to, be, to get to be a part of that. And uh, today is, uh, we have our kids in here today, is that right? Kids, are you in here? Oh, you can do better than that. Kids, are you in here? Yeah, all right. And you're going to stay awake the whole hour, right? No, got some no's. Hey, we have some honest kids, apparently, all right? So kids, this is what I want you to do. You're, you're probably sitting next to an adult, and probably if that adult is a male, the chances are they're going to start sleeping at some point in here. So your job is to elbow them if they 
fall asleep. Can you do that, kids? Can you do that for me? All right. Only if they fall asleep, all right? I, I really don't. Oh, we got one moving to sit by Grandpa so he can elbow them. All right, Preston, I like that. Very good, all right. How many of you are ready for Fallapalooza tonight? That, I was really weak. Kids, how many of you are ready for Fallapalooza tonight? All right, so we're going to have a great time, and uh, I'm, I'm excited because I know we have several of our connection team that have already signed up and, and are uh, going to be intentionally looking for people uh, in lines just to have conversations. And so I ask that you would pray this afternoon uh, that not only will we have a great group of people showing up here, but uh, through those intentional conversations that someone may find Jesus tonight uh, at the event, all right? So that's, that would be worth it all, right? That'd make it worth it all. So we, uh, we're going to continue our series, all right? So uh, if you got your bulletin, I encourage you to get your bulletin out and uh, open that up. There's some blanks to fill in, also some scripture uh, we're going to look at, and uh, I would encourage you uh, throughout the week to take some time and kind of, uh, we, a lot of times we kind of give you this overview. It's hard uh, to give as much information as we would like to because uh, you guys would be asleep, uh, but you guys should go over that. Again, as I mentioned last week, uh, if you're using uh, some kind of uh, digital format to look at the scriptures today, uh, if you go to Version and search under events for Hallmark Baptist Church, uh, you can find uh, what's in the bulletin, the same notes there online. Um, so we're going to continue, and we've given you this statement, what we feel like uh, is very clear in Scripture, what God wants us as a church uh, to do. And so it's right there at the, at the beginning of your outline. It says, we exist to glorify God by making disciples who make disciples. And so uh, I got to sit in on two of our adult Sunday school classes this morning and our missionary Josh Bell, uh, who will be with us Wednesday night at 6.30 in the chapel. I'd love for you to come hear him. Uh, basically, as he spelled out in his uh, short presentation this morning, Matthew, the same verse here that we're about to go to, we are about making disciples who make disciples. And we heard this statement several years ago, uh, at least I heard it maybe close to 15 years ago now by Rick Warren. And I want to, it'll be up on the screen. I've made one little adjustment to it. Um, it says this, we believe a great commitment to the great commission and the great commandment will glorify our great God. Um, I think initially, as I remember it, it was all those things, but at the end, we'll make a great church. And, and I think that is true also, not necessarily false, but our goal is not so much to, to build a great church. Our goal is to glorify our great God. I think as we glorify our great God, God will produce a great church. But, so this is what we want to do. We want to focus on the great commandment and the great commission, and we believe that will glorify our great God. Last week we talked about that specific thing about glorifying God, and if you kind of walk through this statement, we exist uh, to, to glorify God, then you understand we, we talked about that, and it says by, though, by making disciples who make disciples. And so one of the greatest ways that you, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ, can glorify God is by making disciples. And if we as a church are making disciples who make disciples, then we in turn are bringing glory to our great God. And so we're going to continue that. As you walk through that, that statement, we're going to be talking about making disciples. More specifically this morning, we're going to uh, maybe look a little closer at it as to what is 
a disciple. When you think about the early disciples, and you think about, uh, if you remember before Jesus was crucified, remember he had the conversation with the disciples, and he told the disciples, all of you are going to um, desert me. Okay, that was this basic statement, you, you're going to desert me. And remember they all said no, and Peter had an even extended argument, I would die for you, and, and yet when you read the Gospels, exactly what Jesus said was going to take place, that they were going to desert him, when they came and arrested Jesus and took him off for trial, where did all the disciples go? They fled. Then as he hung on a cross and died and was buried, where did the disciples go? They all went to their own little places, back to their own jobs, and they forsook Jesus. Exactly as he said they would. But if you study the, the, the Gospels and Christian history, you understand that all of those disciples, the same disciples that deserted Christ, the same disciples who forsook Christ on the cross, the same disciples, almost every one of them was martyred for their faith. Almost every one of them completely sold out, did not forsake Christ, but completely sold out for Christ, willing to die for Christ. What was the difference from the cross and their forsaking Jesus to years later forsaking their lives for the cause of Jesus? What's the difference? It was the resurrection, wasn't it? Because the resurrection changes everything, doesn't it? And they saw the resurrected Jesus. And, and what was a coward, what was someone who was not willing to forsake all, the one who was going to forsake Christ and pursue his own initiative, everything changed when they saw the risen Jesus. Now, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, then you understand Jesus is alive. Amen? And it should change everything. It should change everything about us. It should change our perspective. It should change how we live. It should change every aspect of our life, the power of the resurrection. But it also should change how we view what Jesus says. So in Matthew 28, we get really the final words of Jesus. You can also read in Acts chapter 1, as it is ascension, he said to the disciples, You shall be witnesses of me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And so in Matthew chapter 28, where we're talking about this, if you have your outline, you can look at point number one. It's already here on the screen. The command of discipleship. So we're going to look at three things this morning. The command of discipleship is number one. The command of discipleship. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Most of us have heard this many times. And it says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Do you, do, you, do you understand the gravity of that statement? Jesus says, all authority under heaven and earth have been given to me. And so the one who has all power on heaven and on earth is the one speaking. Should that change your perspective or how you respond or even how you listen to the message? Right? So we, we all are guilty of this. Depending on what you think or how you think of the person speaking determines how well you listen. Or maybe the importance of what they're saying, what you think or perceive that they're going to say, will determine how well you listen. Or maybe how you're going to respond. Okay, now we could spend a lot of time on this, especially as us husband and wives and how we listen and how we respond, right? 
but there's like a landmine sitting there waiting that I don't want to step on, okay? So we're going to skip over that. But what we are going to think about is, this is Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords, the resurrected Savior, and he says, all authority, all power has been given to me. Do you think we ought to listen to the rest of the statements? Do you not only think we should listen to the rest of the statement, do you think we should respond to the rest of the statement? So look, it's right here. If you have it on your Bible, you have it on your iPad like I do, or it's on the screen. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So all power that's been given to Jesus has been also said given to who? Us. I will be with you. Go, not only is it commission us to go, it says to go in the name of Jesus, and not only in the name, but if we are in the name of the Jesus, we are under his what? His authority and his power, and lo, I will be with you always, even unto the end of the age. Do you think that the commission that Jesus is speaking here to the disciples transferred also to us as believers, do you think it's important? Do you think the command is something we maybe should obey? Yeah, we should. So the command of discipleship. But, but what, let's first define maybe our terms here, right? What is, what is a disciple? We understand what disciple means. I think, you know, it's someone, a, a learner who follows a teacher. It's someone who's following the past or, or tr- trying to be trained, as someone says. And I love this definition that's on the screen. It says, a visible, verbal follower of Jesus. Think, think about those two words, visible and verbal. Visible follower of Jesus, when people look at your life and how you live your life and what you do on a day-to-day basis, do they see that you're a follower of Jesus? Let, let me rephrase that. And again, I don't want you to answer out loud at this moment, but when people look at your life and they see what you do and, and your habits and where you go and how you spend your time and how you spend your energy and where you spend your time and where you spend your energy and where you spend your money, do you think people see Jesus in your day-to-day life? So visible followers of Jesus, and the next word here is what? Verbal followers of Jesus. Not only when people look at your life do they see Jesus, do they see that you are a follower of Jesus, that you act like Christ, do they hear from the words that you speak that you're a follower of Jesus? So again, being a disciple in this definition here that I've stolen from Dr. Tony Evans doesn't say that you attend church faithfully. Right? Can you, can you attend church regularly and not be a disciple of Christ? Yeah. A visible, verbal follower of Jesus Christ. 
the next one that we want to define. So that's a disciple. What, what is discipleship? So we're talking about, as a church, we want to be involved in discipleship. Uh, disciples making disciples. So again, a quick definition that I've stolen that I really like. The process of the local church, which seeks to bring Christians from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. So that they may be able to replicate the process with someone else. And here's the reality that I'm afraid that, that a lot of churches in our, in our culture today are filled with Christians who are still in spiritual infancy. That they're not growing in their faith. That they have not grown in their faith. So I've been a believer for a long time. I didn't do the math, and I really don't want to do the math because it really makes me sound old. That I've been a believer for a long time. But just because I've been a believer, and let's just say that I'm a believer for 20 years. Am I 20 years old in my faith? That's a different question. And for you in your, in your own life, maybe you've been a believer for one year. Maybe you've been a believer for 50 years. But where are you in your growth? Are you still acting like a five-year-old? I often get accused of acting like a five-year-old. Hopefully not in my faith, but in my reality, in my world, sometimes that's accurate. Replicating my faith in someone else. A disciple who makes disciples. So the first one here we looked at on your outline, it says the command of discipleship. And then the question that I want you to, to kind of think through, you might write this down. It's on the screen. The command of discipleship. It's obvious Jesus' command is go make disciples. So the question you need to ask yourself is, are you a disciple who makes disciples? Are you a disciple who makes disciples? Are you a visible, verbal follower of Jesus Christ? Now, I have this wonderful coffee mug right here. Can I get an amen for coffee this morning? Can I get an amen for Kansas Jayhawks this morning? Crickets, right? I, I was expecting that. Now, you guys know that, most of you know, that I love college basketball. I love sports in general, but I love college basketball. And my college basketball team is right here, Kansas Jayhawks. All right? I don't support pretty much any other sport they do because they're terrible. But I like college basketball. And if you were here a few weeks ago, remember I talked about when they won the championship in 1988. And so pretty much a few years before, that's when I really started becoming a fan, and I've just been a fan ever since. And so why am I bringing this coffee mug up here? I, I would like to tell you where I got it, but I can't remember. Uh, but here's what I want you to think about this. If, if my wife is going to wear a college basketball, uni, not uniform, but apparel, Guess what college team she's going to support? I'm not even going to say it, the word, because then I'll get these whoops going on, right? Yeah, see? She's going to wear KU basketball. Do you, do you know what college basketball team apparel that my 
daughter who's a senior in high school who may have may not ever watched a college basketball game do you know what college basketball team apparel she's going to wear right here okay my son who's in college do you know what college team basketball team he's going to support i mean in fact it's so yeah not bbc in fact I'm always getting responses or emails or not, not emails, text messages or Snapchats from Blake about who just signed with college, with KU. I, I mean, I don't have to keep up with it anymore because he keeps me up on it, okay, which is great. I have replicated in my home KU basketball fans because I'm a visible, verbal follower of KU basketball. You know what I hope that I've replicated in my life and in my home as well? That I'm a visible, verbal follower of Jesus Christ. We, we teach our kids all the time, don't we? My wife, I don't know that she ever watched a college basketball game ever in her life before we got married. Is that, is that accurate? But she loves, I think she loves watching college basketball, right? <laughs> I've created a disciple of KU. So are you a disciple who makes disciples? So I, this just maybe hit me. For you parents out here and you have your kids next to you, here, here's the reality. You are making little disciples. Okay? You are making little disciples of what you visibly and verbally support. So you're going to pass on something. I've passed on the love of Kansas basketball. Hopefully my faith as well. What are you visibly, verbally following? That's going to pass down. No, number two, that was bonus material there, all right? Number two, the goal of discipleship. If you want to write one word, it's pretty simple. The goal is transformation, all right? The goal of discipleship is transformation. But let me read a verse here for you this morning, and we're going to walk through it a little bit. Paul writing here in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 17 through 18. And as we think about this, listen to this statement as some of you may be turning there. It says, the goal of discipleship is to become like Jesus in our character, our conduct, our attributes, and our actions. Let, let me say it again. The goal of discipleship is to become like Jesus in character, conduct, attributes, and actions. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 17 through 18. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and when the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of our Lord, are being transformed in the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So that key word there is the word transformed, right? This idea that the ultimate goal of discipleship is our personal transformation, right? So we understand, and I love this quote by Eric Geiger, he says this, Discipleship is transformation, not simply information or behavioral modification. Let me read that again. Discipleship is transformation, not simply information or behavioral modification. 
changed from the inside out. And too often in the church world, we want to change people from the outside in, right? But transformation, real transformation, can only be made by who? God. Look at the text again. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. But we all, with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. We are being transformed. Does that imply that I'm doing the work or some outside force is doing the work? Something outside of me is doing the work. Who's doing the work? Look at the rest of the verse. In the same image from the glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So who transforms me is not me and not my willpower and not me just, you know, uh, as, as maybe an old statement would be, is to picking myself up by my bootstraps, whatever that means. I don't know. I've heard it a lot. That's not what being transformed is. It's not me trying harder. Who changes me from the inside out? Who transforms my life? It's God. Through His Spirit, through the Word of God. Being transformed, what's transforming you? Who's transforming you? It's God, it's the Holy Spirit. Into what? It says being transformed into the same image. What's the image? Before we get to what the image is, let's define what image is, what it means. Image means resemblance, likeness, or replication of. So we are being transformed into the replication of. Who's the image we're being replicated? Who's the image we're being transformed into? It's Jesus. God wants to transform us from the inside out into the very image of his son, Jesus. That interesting it says there, but we all with unveiled face. All right, here, here's where us church people have a maybe some self-examination. So look, look at the scripture again. With an unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror. So James talks about the fact that the mirror that we as believers look at is what? Okay, I'm going to hold my Bible up so you get the picture a little better, even though it's on my iPad. It's, it's God's Word. There's, there's Dave's card. Dave, ha- have fun. I present it so well to you. It's, it's God's Word. And when I look into God's Word, the image that I see, what is reflected back, and the problem for most of us, for a lot of us in our Christian faith, is that as we look into God's Word, as, as Paul is saying here in Corinthians, is we're looking at it with a veiled face. We're not really open and honest with God and who we are and what is in us. Because the reality is, it's difficult to be open and honest with what's in here, isn't it? Many of us come to church every day with veiled faces. Everything's great, life is good, no problems, no worries. 
right? And we go home and we're not changed. We get up in the morning or before we go to bed and we read the Word of God and and we wonder why we're not changed by the Word of God. And the reason we're not changed by the Word of God is because we have a veiled face. We're not open and honest with God. James talks about this, that we look in the Word and and the Word reveals sin to us and the Word reveals the image and the image is not the image of Jesus Christ. God's trying to transform us through the power of the Holy Spirit and through His Word into the image of His Son. And because we, me included, are stubborn, we go unchanged. And maybe for a moment we get a glimpse of the image and we realize this is, this is not pleasing to God. My attitude, my actions, my character, my conduct, this is not pleasing to God. And James talks about it. Then we walk away and we change nothing. Remember what he says? Don't just be hearers of the word, but be what? Doers. The transformation that that God wants to to make in my life, it's going to take me being open and honest and saying, God, here's me and all my faults. Here's me and all my failures, and I need you to fix me. I need you to heal me. I need you to help me. I need you to strengthen me. I need you to reveal in my life. The goal of discipleship is that there's transformation. And the question that I want you to write down on number two here, the goal of discipleship, here's the question. Are you allowing God to transform you into the image of Jesus? Are you allowing God to transform you into the image of Jesus? We could spend a lot of time unpacking this, but we'll we'll move on. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. Turn to Matthew chapter 16, and, and, and we'll get to number three. Number three is this, the cost of discipleship. All right, so we, we have the command of discipleship. Jesus said, go, make disciples. We have the goal. The goal is transformation. And then number three is the cost of discipleship or the conflict of discipleship. Maybe a better word. The conflict of discipleship. Matthew chapter 16. I told you to turn there, but I haven't done it yet. Matthew 16. And so in this conversation, it starts here, and we won't read it, but in verse 16, uh, God has asked, Jesus has asked, who do people say that I am? And... Peter says, you are Christ, the son of the living God. Then Jesus says, on this rock, you, Peter, I will build the church. And there's this great, awesome spiritual moment between Peter and the disciples and Jesus. Uh, And then in verse 21, it says, From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and and, and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. So clearly he tells them, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to be put on trial, and I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to be killed, but on the third day I will come back to life. That's what Jesus tells the disciples right after this moment when Peter has this great spiritual high from answering the question right. And Jesus says, on this rock, Peter, I'm going to build my church. And then he says, I'm going to Jerusalem, and I'm going to be killed, and I'm going to come back to life in three days. And look on the screen here, or if you have your text, your Bible open, verse 22. 
And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Do you think that was a smart decision? If you were ever in the position and the words are stated about you, then he took Jesus' side and rebuked him. Do you want to be in that position? I'm going to give the answer for you. No. How many of you have ever been taken aside and rebuked? All right. How many have been taken behind the woodshed and rebuked? All right. I'm definitely not getting into that conversation. It's painful. Far be it from you, Lord. This should not happen to you. What's Peter saying? Jesus just told him, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer persecution. I'm going to be killed. And I'm going to come back to life in three days. And Peter pulls him to the side and says, no, that's not a good plan. Far be it, God, that this happened to you. Jesus, this should not happen. But look at the response Jesus gives. And this is a good reason not to go take Jesus aside and rebuke him. All right, Verse 23, but he turned in Peter, to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. So word of advice, don't take Jesus to the side and rebuke him. It's not going to end well, is it? These are pretty harsh words, pretty strong words, aren't they? Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. For you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Here's the conflict. Peter thought he was doing the right thing. Peter had good intentions and probably good motives. But he had the wrong mindset, didn't he? What does Jesus say that he was thinking more about? Heaven or earth? God's kingdom or his kingdom? You're not mindful of things of God, but the things of men. Here's where I think... Many of us fall short in discipleship or being disciples. We are thinking more about temporary things than eternal things. A few weeks ago, we were in 2 Corinthians, and 2 Corinthians gives us the same thing. This is, this is not going to be on the screen, but if you want to turn there, you can turn there with me. Unless they're really fast and can type good. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Remember we talked about it. We have this treasure in earth and vessel. That, that the excellency may be of God. So when we share the gospel, God is glorified in that. Then in verse 16 of, of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Life is hard. Being a disciple of Christ It's hard. You will face persecution. Jesus said, they will hate you because they first hated me. Verse 17, for the light affliction, which is but for a a moment, is working a far more exceeding internal weight of glory. Verse 18, this is where I want to land on. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Doesn't that sound somewhat familiar to what Jesus said to Peter. You're more worried about the things on this earth than the things of God. 
the conflict of discipleship. Matthew 16, as we continue reading, if you're still there. Verse number 24. Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever does not save his life will lose it, but whoever... Excuse me, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You see, the conflict of discipleship is that in order for God to really make us his disciple, we've got to follow his will, not our will. We've got to think on eternal things, not temporary things. We've got to live in faith. We must, you know, Luke says it in Luke 9, 23, that we're going to daily take up our cross and follow Christ. That we're daily going to surrender our will to his will. So the question really is this. As a disciple, the conflict of discipleship, the question I want you to ask, are you willing to surrender your will to his? And maybe that you should add to that question, is daily. Daily. It seems easy in, in a room like this, filled with a room of believers that we've known for a while and, and are encouraging to us. I'm going to surrender my will today. But, but what about tomorrow? When you're the only Christian at work. What about tomorrow when you're the only follower of Jesus who's on the ball team? Am I willing to surrender my will to God's will? And as you think about these three things, the command of discipleship, the goal of discipleship, the conflict of discipleship, really, they're backwards. Okay, they be flipped around. Because here's the reality. If you will surrender your will to his every day, then he will transform you. And as he transforms you, you will be a disciple who makes disciples. So the last question is probably the most important. Will you surrender your will Daily to God's will. God, whatever you want from me, I'm yours. For some of us in here this morning, that first decision you need to make of surrender is to give your life to Jesus Christ, to become a follower of Jesus Christ. It's very clear. The Bible says that our sins all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Bible says that our sins separate us from a holy, righteous God. And if we die in our sins, we will spend eternity in a place called hell paying for the payment of our sins. The Bible also says the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. That Jesus came, hung on a cross to pay your sin debt. And whoever calls on him, the Lord shall be saved. Have you ever called on the name of the Lord? Have you ever asked Christ for forgiveness of sins? 
that you could have eternal life and a home in heaven. Surrender your will to his. For those of us in here that have already done that, the question is, is really pretty simple. I wouldn't say that it's easy, but it's pretty simple. Every day I get up in the morning, am I going to say, God, it's not my will, but your will. Not my plans, but your plans. Would you close your eyes with me this morning? I'm going to ask Dave if he'd come, and, and they're going to prepare for worship this, this morning. We also have some that are prepared for baptism today. They may go ahead and, and begin to prepare. But as there's movement in the room this morning, I know that it's hard for you to keep your focus and attention, but I, I want you to go back to that question and to think in your own life. Is my life, would, would I consider that every day of my life that I've surrendered my will to God's will? Are there, are there areas in my life that I have not surrendered to God? You know, we don't get to itemize, well, God, you can have this, but I want this. And God, you can have control of that, but I want control of this. Is every aspect of my life surrendered to His will? Remember the prayer of Jesus in the garden? Lord, not my will, but Your will be done. And that should be our heart's desire every morning when we get up. And it would change the perspective of our life. It would change the perspective of what, the conversations that we have every day. That maybe that person that I see as an interruption, God has sent as an opportunity. That I could be a part, be a disciple who makes disciples, a visible, verbal follower of Jesus. I'm going to challenge you this morning. In a moment, we're going to stand. We're going to have a time of worship. But if God has spoken to you this morning and, and, and God has revealed to you, you know, there's some areas in my life that are not surrendered to God. Or maybe there's days in my life or weeks in my life that have not been surrendered to God. And, and I want God to transform me into the image of Christ. And so I want to surrender my will today. I would ask you in a moment, we're going to stand, and, and I would invite you to come forward and pray. There will be people here at the front. They're going to be facing you. If you would like them to pray with you, they would love to pray with you. Just come up and shake their hand. Ask them to pray with you. If you'd just like to pray alone this morning, you're welcome to come forward. You can kneel at the altar. You can sit here on the front pew and just seek God. But I want to ask real quickly this morning before we stand, would there be anyone here this morning to say, John, I've never given my life to Jesus Christ. I've never surrendered my life to him as you just talked about. And I want forgiveness of sins and I want a relationship with Jesus Christ. If that's you this morning as your eyes are closed, would you, would you just put your hand up for a moment? I want to pray for you. Anybody like that this morning, put your hand up. Leave it up for a moment. I'm looking around the auditorium. But I just want to pray for you. You have several with their hands up. Anyone else this morning, just put your hand up. Anyone this morning, just put your hand up for a moment. Thank you. If you raised your hand this morning, I'll give you the same invitation. There are going to be people standing here 
They would love to open up the Bible and show you exactly how you can surrender your life to Christ. And if you would like to do that this morning in a moment when we stand, I'm going to ask you to come forward and just shake their hand and ask them to show you how you can surrender your life to Him. God, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to worship you and to hear from you and to open your word and to be challenged, Lord, to be followers of Christ. Lord, be in these next few minutes. We thank you for those who are about to proclaim their salvation through baptism. Lord, for those in here this morning that have raised their hand that that they've never given their life to Christ. Lord, give them the courage and the strength in a moment to walk forward and talk to somebody about it. For the many of us in here that have been challenged this morning, may you give us the courage to walk forward and pray about it. Lord, we love you. We thank you for allowing us to be here today. As we're in the spirit of prayer, would you stand with me this morning? We're going to sing a song of worship. As you stand, if God has spoken to you,